Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Recording episode 500 with the one and only Mr. Michael J. Durant, author of In the Company of Heroes, as well as Night Stalkers. The last time I talked to you, I talked for like five minutes before I let you say a word because I was like having a panic attack that I was actually talking to you. So this time I'm only going to do it for 30 seconds before I ask you to please introduce yourself, sir. All right, I'm starting the clock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Could you please introduce oh, yourself? Oh, so that was your 30 <laughs> Yeah, that was my 30 right? seconds. No, I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm ahead of schedule. <laughs> You're just a new backdrop. You've totally changed. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, it's good to talk to you again. Yes, uh, always uh, a pleasure to uh, you know, talk about things of, that interest me. So, you know, looking forward to the conversation and pick up maybe pick up on some things we didn't talk about last time. And congratulations on the success. Sounds like your podcast is doing better. I'm glad to hear that. It's uh, kind of hard to get traction, but yeah. sounds like you have. So, good on you. Thank you, sir. So, you were episode 95. Now we're at episode 500, and you you mentioned to me just a minute ago before we start recording the setup looks different and the setup is very different so what i would what i talked to you most about last time was how in your book while in captivity the the wisdom and the sort of mantra that you had again and again shocked me the first time i read it and then re-listening to it this week it's still kind of it's it still kind of kicks me in the ass that it's it's not what you think it'd be it's not the it's not the hallmark, the just hang in there. We we can do it. It's you you have them it's a cold but it's a but it's an effective mindset. And it was like don't you dare get your hope up. Don't you dare and it wasn't don't give in a fear, but it was even at the very end when they were putting you on a stretcher and you were like, uh uh-uh, uh, it's not not until when the scoreboard hit zero, then we're good. And that had a massive effect on me. So when we spoke last time about a year ago, I was 29 living above my parents' garage doing a podcast on this same laptop and just trying to get it going. And talking to you made me stop stop thinking that it's here. The thing's not here. Nose down, work. Next guest, work. And one thing led to another. And I found a guy that really loved the podcast, and he was like, I think it's fantastic. He's like, why don't you do more episodes? He mentioned the one with you. And I was like, well, I'm working at a liquor store. I don't have all the time to do this. And he was like, have you thought of investors? And I was like, you give me money, and let's do this thing. So did an investment thing, and I've got – so I'm getting paid to do this now. So I have my own apartment, own setup, cameras, all that good stuff, not important. The point is, is that your advice was – extraordinarily helpful to me it kept me sane because even then when we spoke it was still not another i mean shit it was almost a year to the day that i moved out so it if i had known it was going to be and now i'm doing it i'm just talking non-stop i'm not letting you talk damn it and so the point is is in what other ways 
has wisdom like that shaped you? And in what ways would it be beneficial to individuals in in my audience? Because none of us are, the vast majority of us are never going to fly Black Hawk helicopters. We're not going to be in the 160th. We're not going to be successful like yourself. What other lessons have carried over into your life, into the business world, social, religious, et cetera, that have helped you continue to grow as a man and be successful? Yeah, the first one that always comes to mind, because I, I get asked this question fairly often, is you know when i when i was younger i still remember struggling with with a little bit of self-confidence and i you know i wasn't uh you know uh, a superstar athlete i mean i played sports but i wasn't wasn't all that good i was like third string quarterback or whatever you know just uh the guy who's out there in, in the most desperate of, of situations when you know all hope is lost and and you know this is the only way you can fill the gap um you know whether that's why i don't know you know i, I i'm not sure we're, we're all kind of unique creatures i guess and how our brains operate and how we see ourselves and everything else um and then you know i, I think going to flight school and, and obviously getting into the 160th and being forced into more challenging and challenging situations causes you to, you know, your confidence to grow for sure. And then I think it, it got a steroid injection after surviving that whole ordeal. I, I would say that, you know, is probably the one impact that it had to me as a person that, uh, and maybe it's just facing death. I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't have all the answers. All, all I can say is, you lose some of that inhibition, you lose some of that lack of confidence. And if there's one thing I could get people to really, really grab onto and, and believe, and, and that is the, the whole notion of not being afraid to fail. I think so many of us hold back because we're just afraid we're going to do something that we're going to fail at, you know, whatever it is, you know, Every every person's got their own challenges that they face, their own reasons and their own aspirations, and and many people probably hold themselves back more than they're being held back by their circumstances because either they don't like the confidence, or they don't believe they can do it, or there's peer pressure or whatever else. Right? Uh, that is completely gone for me. There's probably not a situation I can think of that's happened to me recently where I was the, the, what drove the decision is a fear of failure that that is completely gone. And I wish and me wouldn't have changed my life, but I wonder what my life would have been like had I never had that fear of failure. So, it, you know, I tried to get people to understand that, you know, it doesn't mean you can go out there and do just anything you want, but it certainly opens the envelope a little bit wider to, believe in yourself and, and and what are the consequences of failing, right? I mean, okay, it didn't work out. You know, I, I, I learned some incredibly valuable lessons that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. And, you know, if it's a financial thing, maybe you lost a few dollars, maybe you spent some time doing it. But in the end, you're probably going to benefit from the failures as much as you are from the successes, maybe even more. Yeah. So, you know, that's my advice is, is swing for the ball. You have to swing for the ball. It's, it's like I play, I still play hockey, right? And, the, you know, the shots you know you're not going to score on are the ones you don't take. Now, now, I'm a big advocate of passing. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, you know, if we're talking hockey specifically, <laughs> pass the puck, okay? But when you have a scoring opportunity, you have to shoot. And then that's kind of, you know, where, I, where I've landed. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, Wayne Gretzky. I'm a big proponent of passing Mike Durant. The, the yes. lesser-known hockey quote. I'm a big <laughs> proponent of passing. Um, actually, I walked off the ice two weeks ago because because there were people on the, on the ice that wouldn't pass, and I've never done it in my life. But I got so frustrated. It's like this is this is not golf, okay? This is a team sport. You have to move the puck. I don't care how good you are, you're going to lose if you don't move the puck. You just walked off. I did. Good. It was kind of funny too. <laughs> it's kind of funny because I mean, I, I, I mean, I've never done this before. I, I'm somewhat stable emotionally, and I walked off the rink. And of course, the game's still going, so I go around the end of the ice, and I can't get out that way. So my big dramatic departure oh, is, <laughs> is cut short by the, the design of the rink. I had to turn back around and, and go back by the bench. And, and, and anyway, but I went back out again the following week, and everybody's moving the puck around, and we, and we crushed the other team. So the, the message was sent, and the message was received. It's making me uncomfortable. It's like <laughs> it's like breaking up and, and walking out the wrong side of the bar. Like, you bitch. Yeah, exactly. You end up in the ladies' room. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's a push, not pull. Good lord. Well, that kind of derailed me. Um, yeah, no, I was, I was. That's actually good. You know, yeah. What are the what are the side effects of failure? And it's really, I mean, I would say the most lessons I've learned are probably, yeah, probably emailing guests for this podcast. You know, people ask me, they're like, "How do you get?" You know, I had on Charlie Duke who walked on the moon, like. I had on Robert Malone last week, the guy who invented mRNA vaccines. What no one sees is, no one sees the mountains, the mountains of no. Stop emailing me. How did you get this email? You know, sometimes it's like a respectful General Mattis or the office of Obama saying, nope, thank you, very busy. Cool. You know, sometimes it's Northrop Grumman telling me to stop contacting them about classified programs. And I'm like, hey, you know what? <laughs> you win some, you lose some. I don't know what list I'm on now, but, you know, it's for anybody listening in, at Fort Meade, I'd love for you to come on too. Um, so with Pinnacle Solutions, so correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, you, you do a lot of like, uh, like simulations, right? So everyone says that, and and you know we've we've tried to rebrand ourselves a little bit. We still do a lot of that, but that isn't the majority of what we do. The majority of what we do is actually uh, flight operations, aircraft maintenance. Uh, about uh, you know we have a little over five hundred people, and I would say four hundred people of that five hundred are involved in some kind of real flight operations, either flying or maintaining aircraft, or, or in some cases teaching people how to maintain or fly aircraft. We still do the simulation stuff, but it's just not as large a part of what we do uh, as it was when we started the company. All right. Well, that that kicked out any questions I had about that. So I'll... No, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, can still, I can still answer them. <laughs> 
so is I mean, obviously, there's tons of simulate. Uh, there's a great book called uh, Skunk Works by Ben Rich, the former CEO of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. They always talk about the simulations, right? Whether it's the U two or the SR seventy one or the F one seventeen, and it's always you know, you know, failure, failure in the simulations is success in the real world, right? But I was thinking, obviously, you did things with uh, the Seer course, right? They came to you, the bearded one, you know, and they wanted to so that future captives would would have more of a more of an advantage at getting out alive but the one thing that kind of popped in my mind was like you know you could run those sim and let me full disclosure as someone that's never been in a helicopter and has certainly never flown one so i'll speak from my armchair of knowledge i feel like you could run simulations till the cows come home but is there an aspect of something like elon musk's Neuralink or anything like sensory not not just obviously simulations you know they move they're on the axes and things but are there actual like higher tier or futuristic simulations that might i mean i don't know if that would be classified or something but it would be that it's more than just all right you know we, we cut this fuel line what do you do could you go into like you know someone like you could teach where you'd almost be something like Neuralink, or it would be like here is the adrenaline and fear of what happens you can learn this checkbook upside down and backwards what actually happens when the back half of the helicopter is gone and you're here and you feel like you're here well part of what you're saying is kind of is really already happening because if you look at like the first simulator i ever flew was in flight school and i hate to even say how long ago that was but it was 1983 which is ridiculous to think that it's been that long but um in that simulator it had a motion platform, which is hydraulic legs that kind of lift you off the ground, but it had no visuals. So when you're looking out the window, there was nothing there. It was just white. And then it had moving instruments. And then that was kind of the technology that had been available going all the way back to the first simulators, which were built in World War II. Uh, and it, it was effective in teaching you a set of tasks, which is primarily flying instruments, which means if you're in the clouds and you can't see outside. Well, as you know, obviously, as computer technology got better, and you know, you started to see high tech animations and everything else, we started developing high fidelity visual databases that you then could fly in. And you know, the first time they they actually put a, a, a visual on it on a flight simulator, it was actually a physical terrain board that flew a little camera yeah. around in this miniature land, right? And, and there were small trees, and, you know, if the instructor wanted to mess with you, they'd put, like, a, a rubber dinosaur out there on the, on the train board, and you'd fly around the corner, and, you know, ah! But, you know, that – and, again, it, now that sounds primitive, but at the time, it was like, wow, I can actually see outside, and I'm flying. And then we started doing it with computer graphics. And today, I mean, it, the out-the-window scenes look almost real. The fidelity of the cockpit itself is – might as well be real. I mean, it's working exactly like the real machine works. You are getting the motion cues. Is it as realistic as the real thing? No, but but it's close and it keeps getting closer. So, you know, I mean, we've experimented with putting smells in the cockpit because, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a certain aspect to other senses that, you know, the heat and, and, and all of these other things. And you get a little bit you know, closer to reality each time you add one of those other elements in there. So I think it's happening. Uh, are we going to, you know, plug a uh, connector to the back of your brain uh, anytime soon? Probably not. But 
eventually, I, I would say we probably will get there, you know, and, and then all the rest of the hardware goes away and you're, and you're being fooled into thinking that you're actually in this environment. But it's, it's getting closer. And what you probably wouldn't expect is that you see people flying uh, high task loads where they're starting to behave like it is real because you've put them in, in such a situation where they're in the, and there's pressure because they know their crew is looking at them. The instructor's looking at them. It's being recorded. So there's stress that comes just from that, even though, you know, they, they might know in their mind's eye that they're not actually in danger. It's, it's so realistic. And there's so many things happening at the same time. I mean, people sweat, they get nervous, they panic, they do all those things. And, and so we're not quite to where you were describing, but, but we're pretty darn close actually. Yeah. Yeah, isn't all because isn't olfactory isn't smell like the greatest like uh has the greatest ability to like bring you back to a situation like the clone yeah, I believe that is yeah because you that talked is correct. about that you talked about that yeah. a lot in your book you were like the burning garbage the smell of like of like fecal matter or burning tires or not you know as opposed to like the fresh cut grass or like new snow in New Hampshire you talked yeah. about I mean I mean what better way of yeah, what better way of terrifying people into training, right? If you know they're going to be in this environment, plug in these smells. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that thing, I think it was, was it called Atran, that that radar system, or that was one of them, that they flew the camera over the little, uh, little like, miniature landscapes? Oh, I am not sure, actually, it's, what it was called. Yeah, I, I remember watching something about that. But, yeah, no, that's they were saying it was, like, cutting edge back. And they're like, oh, yeah, they'd have these huge these huge tables. And it almost looked like a little, like, train set. But they'd, yeah. they'd do pre-recorded things in there. Yeah. And um, – but, yeah. So do you ever – do you ever get tired of people like me – reaching out and wanting to talk or ask you questions. I mean, you talked about it in the end of your book, uh, Kissing the Stone. You know, they're, they're the individuals that want to put their arm around you and say, hey, look, it's Mike Durant. And there are the individuals where you can tell there's like a, a genuine a genuine concern. And, you know, I I, I don't want to be the former. I try to be the latter. I, I do, I you know, I, I do like to talk about how how your journey has helped me it truly how it helped me how it i mean really instead of saying the podcast is going to work one day i just told myself i was like no one's coming <laughs> just keep working no one working at the liquor store people 10 years younger than me is saying do you have any mocha for and i'm just like no one's coming <laughs> no one's coming you just gotta work through this and then it worked one day it just worked and it, you know I, my, the guy that invested in the pot he's kind of like Farimbi. he just kind of showed up and was like he just wanted to see me help right viva deed and and that's that has helped me enormously. Do you get tired? And I guess, I don't know, can you even answer that candidly? People like So if you sent me a survey, if you sent me a survey that said, what would you rather do this afternoon, talk on a podcast or, or do virtually anything else <laughs> you could do? I would probably pick do virtually anything else. I mean, I don't, I'm only doing it because, you know, I mean, I guess in theory, people can learn something from it or enjoy it or, or, or whatever. And, and I'm, I'm generally a reasonable person. I try to, you know, help people out and, and, uh, as long as it's positive, you know, I don't want to do something that's going to be negative, but as long as it's positive, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And the touch the stone thing is really more about when you're in the moment and there's all this attention, those are the people that are trying to touch the stone, you know, 25 years later, 
the, the stone is, uh, is gone or it's reduced to rubble, you know, at this yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, it's, I just, because I genuinely do think there are things to learn from you. Um, I had on Bing West, who's the author for General Mattis, and he talks about in his book, Call Sign Chaos, Mattis has a great quote. If you have not, if you have not read hundreds of books, you are functionally illiterate. And he says, there's only so much you can learn in the scope of your existence on this planet. If you're not, he would say when, when things would happen with the people under him, he would go give them a book from some Spartan commander, you know, 20 centuries ago and say, read this. Like, what are you talking about? You know, we're dealing with, with predator miss or in hellfire missiles and drones and satellites. And he was like tactics, same tactics, or he was this thing from Napoleon. Say, if you're not reading all of these, because what these individuals are, people who live incredible lives, Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, Napoleon. At the very end, they write books or their memoirs and they distill their life's information and maybe they slant this way or that, however they want their legacy to be. But you can get the distilled, you can get the sports center highlights without having to go play the whole game. And to me, when there's someone like yourself or like Mr. Duke who walked on the moon Am I ever going to walk on the moon? The sad reality is, is probably no. Am I ever going to fly a Black Hawk helicopter? If I'm flying a Black Hawk helicopter, something has gone horribly, horribly wrong in the world and in the United States at the very least. <laughs> what there are, though, is there are lessons. Mr. Duke talked about, I said, what happens, you know, you want to be a pilot, experimental pilot, and then you go to space, and what's the final frontier? Walking on another celestial body. Well, what do you do when you come home? And I told him that was my fear. What if I turn into Joe Rogan? And then what if there's nothing left after that? And he said when he came back from the moon, he started drinking a lot. He didn't know what to do. He said he became a terrible father. He talked about finding faith and doing work for others. And that has renewed his life. And he's like 90 now. And that had a huge impact on my life. Find faith. There's more. Be in the world, not of the world. It's it's. So with you, I, I genuinely do think that there there is there are things to learn from you i can tell people hey hold on it gets better it doesn't mean shit but when you can look at it with a smile and go yeah yeah hold on like it's darkest before the dawn i do think there and so i know yeah you'd probably be ra rather doing virtually anything else than a podcast but i do think there are some some actual valuable advice that to my generation, I mean, let's be honest, millennials, we're, you know, we're all so messed up in the head. It's and at our, our own fault. It's not even real problems. It's just we're a bunch of brats. Right. But there's more depression and suicide in this generation than ever. Sure. Maybe you're not in downtown Mogadishu. Maybe you're not being held captive, but maybe you're just trying to hold on to it. It's going to get better. You know, I'm going to meet a woman. I'm going to I'm going to get a raise. I'm, this cloud is going to lift. And I and I know that I've lost a sibling to suicide some people don't get out mm -hmm. and i'm doing it again i'm ranting damn it but is there any advice i've got you for two more minutes is there any advice that you would offer people that you know you have that others don't and i know the cliche hold on it gets better but i mean truly someone who has stared into the pits of hell and now you're here sitting there with an awesome salt and pepper beard just, you know, looking like a badass. You got a great smile talking about hockey. People don't pass. You have a sense of humor. What would you say to them? Well, there's a lot there. That's a hard, that's, that's kind of difficult. <laughs> Answer it all now. 
<laughs> we went down a bunch of different roads. Yeah, um, pick one, whatever you want. Uh, these, okay. Well, uh, part of, you know, you, 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 you were talking about the highs and lows in life, and, and I think it goes back to what you started our conversation with. I was telling myself in captivity, you know, don't get too excited about release because if it doesn't happen, then you're going to be devastated. And maybe it's, again, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's my personality. I don't know, but I try not to get too high and I try not to get too low. You know, I mean, same, it's the same thing with the company. It's just, if you let all the things that go wrong get to you, then you're, you're really going to be demoralized. Uh, and I, I think the only way you can offset that is is to not get too crazy uh, excited about the things that go right. You know, just it's a it's a process. You keep you keep plugging away, and things some things will go right, some things won't. And in the end, we can only control what we can control. And I, I think that's a big thing that people have a hard time with. They they get wrapped around the axle about things that are just way beyond their control, and. and why worry about that? You know, that that's going to be what it's going to be. All we can do as individuals is, is control what we say and what we do. And if we maintain that kind of level emotional state uh, and don't let the highs get us too high and the lows get us too low, then we'll probably be okay. Um you know, again, you went a lot of different directions there. It made, me, it made me think of something our youngest sent me on Saturday night. He's a he's a brilliant kid. He's read probably hundreds of books already in his young life. And uh, to think that at this point in my life I can get wisdom from a 17-year-old is, is uh, kind of shocking. But he sent me this quote from Albert Pike, and I can't even tell you who Albert Pike is. Uh, he said, what we have done for ourselves alone dies with us. What we have done for others in the world remains and is immortal. And I thought, oh, that's pretty profound. You know, that should, <laughs> that should uh, you know, if we, if we all lived our lives underneath that mantra, the, the world would probably be a great place, right? We, we tend to do a lot of things for ourselves and not for others. And, to paraphrase it, that's going to die with us. But the things that we do for others, we'll, we'll live forever. So, I'm brilliant kid, I'm smarter <laughs> than me. Jeez. <laughs> All right. Well, unfortunately, what you just did though is you you just committed yourself to my podcast. So on, on episode a thousand, I'm going to email you. I'm, I'm going to be like Mr. Durant. You can't die with this knowledge, you know. A great man named Albert Pike once said, and it's <laughs> that's how I'm going to guilt trip everyone in doing my podcast from now on. How big is that micro microphone going to be in 500 more episodes? 500 more episodes. Tri- it's going to triple in size. It's going to. I'm going to have nine of them. It's going to be four. It's going to be three dimensional. You're going to plug in with Neuralink, and you're going to. Maybe you don't want to smell me, but you're going to be smelling my cologne. You're going to be. It's going to be. We're going to be here. To, episode 1000 is going to be from a Black Hawk helicopter. You're going to be flying me, and it's something's going to go horribly wrong. Well, how long do you think it's going to take to get to a thousand? You came on last April. That was episode ninety-five. So we're looking That's at a lot. yeah. We're, so we threw on four hundred and five in what fifteen months? I don't know, but imagine October of twenty twenty-two, perhaps. Yeah, 
Wow. And now, well, and you're now you're committed to it. You can't not do it because I mean, what did Albert Pike say? Um, what are you doing? Just talking to random people on the street, or <laughs> I find I find I find everyone I can. I had on uh, Brigadier General Robert Spaulding. He flew B two Spirits. I had on uh, Robert Manning, the head of NASA's JPL, driving them rovers around on Mars. Um, wow. Yeah, Ken Albeck. The head of the Soviet bioweapons program, he defected to the United States in uh, 1992. Um, so this is all a way of me deflecting that, yes, the vast majority of it is just me with my friends being like, bro, you think aliens are real? But what I do is I get some very good guests in between, such as yourself. So when people like yourself or of your caliber ask me, who are you interviewing? I can just pull out those names. And then when they dig a little deeper, they're like, who's who's Rob and who who's Dawn? And why do they keep coming on? Why are you guys shit face talking about you know marilyn monroe and it's well at that point i deflected and i by the time they realized that they're on the podcast and i got it we're good and i can scoot real quick though i know i'm keeping you over already looking at things like you're into aviation obviously navionics what do you think about all the ufo reports yeah it's funny I, i went to a wedding in new hampshire uh, a couple of weeks ago, and and you know most people know who I am, and and they know you know that I was in the military, and it's kind of interesting because people who don't live around a lot of government agencies or don't live around the military, I think have this somewhat distorted view. <laughs> is a nice way of saying it, you know. It's like we're we're all in this secret club that yeah. knows everything. And you people out there that are not in our club, you know, we're just duping all of you. And I was asked that question, and and I don't have a clue. I mean, you know, these, these are weird things that are flying around. You know, I'm, it could be anything. It could be secret projects that we're doing. Could be secret projects that other nations are doing. Could be aliens. Could be. Uh, I have no clue. Am I concerned about it? Not really. No, not at all. There's nothing we can do. Lastly, do you do you ever look at other pilots? Do you ever maybe internally? Do you ever size them up? Like they couldn't do what I do. Uh, I don't know if you you can answer that. Some level of an ego, I think. Absolutely, Um, healthy ego. Yeah, yeah. Because you do have to, you know, you you have to have you do have have confidence to strap this thing on and go do what you do. Um, Yeah, I mean. I was pretty good at it. I really was. Yeah. Now, you know, I can't say how well I would have done in other platforms or other missions or whatever, but I was pretty damn good in a Blackhawk, and uh, uh, and I kind of miss it, but enjoy what I do now. And you know, life life goes on, and you evolve and adapt. And um, but it was a heck of a time. Do you look at something like a Marine One, like the presidential helicopters? Do you ever like I can do that? Oh, easy. Yeah. It's like flying on airlines. Yeah. I mean, this is, there's nothing to this. I mean, no disrespect, but, you know, it's compared to what we were doing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There, that is like, uh, you know, driving to the grocery store. All right. Lastly, and um, now I've kept you for five minutes longer, so clearly I'm, I've been a liar. Um and I wanted to say this to you last time, but I, I didn't feel it was 
I felt was too informal and perhaps it still is now, but I've boxed myself in and now I have to say it. You, I think you did, and I'd say this in like the most informal yet respectful way. I think you did the most, you did the, the best way of what word am I looking for? I think you did more for Shukart and Gordon than any Medal of Honor did. And I say this in a very informal way in that the way you described them coming up to the helicopter and you said, as if there was no particular rush, they just walked up and are like, so like, you know, just said, just, just looking around, like just kind of scoping things out. And that may sound disrespectful. That may sound insincere, but I've thought about it and it's now been a year and I've been thinking about it. Every guy, right. You ever jumped during a movie and your friends all look at you and they're like, hey, look at this guy. You know, I wasn't scared. There is no like greater insult to a guy than being like blustered and scared and freaking out. Like I still do. I can't watch horror movies. I'm 30 years old. And there's no there's no greater sign of like coolness than someone who's just, you know, they can walk up to the highest girl in the bar and just, you know, know their voice isn't quavering. They're not shaking. They're just cool. The way you describe them just walking up to the helicopter in no particular hurry, not flustered. Just going, how you doing, Mike? Just kind of like looking around. For whatever that's worth, there is no greater respect than I think the way you worded that. And I hope that doesn't come across as insincere or disrespectful. But I did want to tell you that. I thought it was, I've thought about it for a year now. And I've interviewed a lot of Delta Force guys. And I think the one thing they all champion above everything else is like, just cool as a cucumber. And so the way you worded that in your book, I know we've been kind of goofing off this whole podcast, but I did want to say that for whatever it's worth. I thought that was pretty badass. Well, they're the ultimate warriors. They really are. I mean, we were, we were honored to support them and you know, just, it's, it's impossible to describe the things that those guys do. And I don't mean just the Delta guys, it's the whole community, uh, day in and day out, just absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, great Americans, and, and uh, uh, we should be very thankful that we have people like that willing to serve our whole military. But you know, w- within any you know, large organization, there's going to be those key people that you know really operate at a different level, and, and that's who those guys are. Yes, sir. Well, I've kept you for 38 minutes, so clearly I lied about only a half hour. So I'll let you go. Mr. Michael Durant, episode 500, God willing, another 500, and I will harass you for number 1,000, and you're going to be thinking I would rather be doing anything else, and I don't care. I'm going to harass you. I'll change my, I'll change my phone number. <laughs> you know, I don't have your phone number, so good luck. It's, I'll, find your, I'll find your son and be like, yo, start sending more Albert Pike quotes. I'll just make up bullshit quotes. Be like, there's no greater duty than doing a podcast for, for someone. Mr. Durant. Thank you so much for your patience. Thank you very much for coming on here and talking to me. I know that you literally could be doing anything else right now, but I I really do appreciate it. It's badass. It makes me feel cool and important. So at the very least, thank you for that. That's my pleasure. I'm glad you're doing well. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. God bless. God bless America. Thank you so much, Mr. Durant. Take care. Recording stopped.